millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Rogue Report podcast. We are here this evening to discuss the happenings of today and where we expect our business to go from here since the international market is still open and we are still allowed to loan players. I am joined today by Rogue Report's newest writer, Jack Ford. How are you, Jack? Yeah, I'm good. A uh, bit of a quiet deadline day, but uh, squad's looking a lot stronger and I'm looking forward to my podcast debut. Hopefully it's a lot more Chris Maguire than Ali Mosturk. <laughs> fair, fair. good comparison uh, also joining me is Danny Roberts How, how's things today Danny? I'm um, good yeah it's been a good day watching I haven't really done anything but if we get that power over the line then I suppose it's been a good day yeah and we've also got the old Roker Rapport podcast host Damien the loudmouth Cockney how are you Damien? Well, I'm not old you fucker <laughs> <laughs> I said loud not old I'm good mate how are you? <laughs> I'm good I can't complain I'm glad that you asked how I was yeah. You don't always get that as host. I need, I need to know. I need to yeah. know. I worry about you. <laughs> I do too. So Sutherland today have signed, well, haven't signed. I've wrote signed because I thought it was going to happen, but it hasn't went through yet. We look to have signed Max Power uh, pending a medical. Guys, what do we know about Max Power? Who wants to, to jump in and talk about him? Max Power, fantastic name. I'll say that much. Are we all <laughs> fan of the, the Simpsons? Do we all see Homer Simpsons? Max Power, uh episode power to the max or home out of the max i think it was called i just hope that everybody gets it i know loads of us will get it but i hope everybody gets it you know i hope we can somehow turn something like that into a chant i don't know how it'll go though to be honest we could try do you think well, do we, you got we any... aren't going to try we aren't going to try <laughs> right but someone should as long as it's not me <laughs> so danny what do you make of max power i uh, he's he's got pedigree in this league he's played well for wigan but I think he got five goals last season, seven or eight assists. He adds that bit of pedigree in midfield that I think we were lacking a little bit against Trollton. He's not the tallest, but he's about five foot eleven, so he's not small. I think he's a good signing. Seems to have, uh, well, as you say, he's got pedigree at this sort of level. But is it worrying? You brought up his height there. We seem to have a midfield full of, um, well, not quite dwarfs, but yeah, not not big lads. And I think we were all looking for that big central midfielder, Alfred and Dye-esque, who's going to marshal things and we don't seem to have it. Is that a worry? Uh, yeah, I kind of wrote down all the sizes of our players before the podcast. And we haven't, if you have Wyke, that's our only six-footer. If you take, well, obviously, other defenders, but above that, McGeady, 5 foot 11, Power, 5 foot 11, Sinclair, 5 foot 11. That's our tallest players. So it is, it's most definitely a worry. But Jack, what, Jack, what uh, do you make of that? I think it's a worry, but 
we've had this problem for a few seasons now. And for some reason, we're the only club in the world who seems unable to find some big cloggers to chuck in the team. Um, I think we'll benefit this season, though, from generally it looks like we're going to have a lot more quality on the ball than other teams. And hopefully that means we can kind of take that physical battle out of it a bit and keep the ball and keep things on the floor. Uh, like you say, Max Power, he's not the tallest, but he's a big guy. He's very athletic. Same with Luca Nine. So hopefully they'll make up for the height difference. Uh, Damien, where do you think you'll slot in to the Sunderland team? Is he going to be a, a starter or is he going to be a squad player? Well, you would think at this point it'd be a start. Well, it'll certainly be in competition, won't he? I mean, everyone's probably in competition for a starting match, uh, starting place in the match. I mean, when it comes to aerial ability and things like that, well, yes, yeah, or rather size, yeah, you want somebody who's, who's tall, but if, they, if they're useless in the air, then it's pointless, isn't it? Like we had John O'Shea, he was, what, six foot two, six foot three, something like that. And he can do anything in the air. He was bloody useless. So things like that, I'm, I'm not sure they're terribly important. I think aggression, uh, strength, that sort of thing's far more important when it comes to dealing with aerial challenges and stuff like that. So hopefully he's strong. That's what I want. As long as he's got a bit of power behind him. And power. Sort of, <laughs> yes, there we go. Yeah, yeah, there it is. Power. Everyone's going to fall into that trap. Hopefully he's got some of it. Like, that would be decent. But we do, I mean, it's, it's not a bad sign. I've never really seen him play, to be honest. I don't think many of us have. That's the trouble. Uh, when we're at this level, we're dealing with um, dealing with a lot of unknown quantities. So there's a lot of speculation, there's a lot of things that we want to happen. But whether it'll actually come true or not, I don't know. As I say, we've had tall players before, and they aren't necessarily very good in the air. So, but we'll see. I don't. I just don't think we have to worry so much about the height, the overall height of our team. Uh, stats for power. He played 49 games for Wigan last year uh, over the League One and Cup competitions, scored five goals. He has proven at this level, but looking ahead, you know, the club wants to be a championship club in the future. He, he's never ever done it at that level. He was he played a full season for Wigan and never scored a goal. So, Jack, what, what do you think of, you know, is it going to be a long-term signing for the club? Maybe it could be if he somehow finds a way to make that step, hopefully after this season, but Personally, I wouldn't be bothered if it wasn't. We could do the same thing as Wigan, get promoted, have him at the, in the centre of the team and then just sell him again because hopefully uh, we'll be going straight up. And then if we use that to get someone who's championship quality, then it's a shrewd bit of business. Uh, Josh DeRoche, I'm, I'm reading the YouTube comments now, they're coming through. He asks, the squad depth in midfield is great once everyone's fit. Who would be the starting midfield if everyone was fit? So who wants to take that? Danny, do you want to take that one? Go on then. Um... Obviously, Magooch, McGock, sorry. McGeoch. Obviously, McGeoch. <laughs> God, um, he's our number one, I'll definitely say. How Power gets into it, he'll probably play alongside McGock, and then you've just got Honeymooner in front of him. I think that'll be the main three we play with. That 09 will come in, filter in. We need a lot of legs, especially when we're getting into the tail end of the games. He'll be a really good player to come onto the pitch. So, yeah, I'd, I'd hope they would start. And then on the wings, you've got You've still got McGeady. He hasn't left. Really good bit of business there, keeping him. You've got Gooch, obviously. And when Sinclair comes back, he could make a run on the right, a play on the wing. So I think we're pretty Sinclair, set up in the field, yeah. Sinclair's someone I want to talk about, actually, because watching him the other day, I know he wasn't on for long and he took a bit of a knock afterwards, but he looked really promising to me. He looked really sharp. I'm not saying he really necessarily aided the entire team in their efforts, but he, he certainly he was involved as soon as he hit the pitch. You know what I mean? That's a that's something that we need, something that we've been lacking. I think. I mean, it, it's sort of like it was almost reminiscent of watching the way Ashley Fletcher tried to play, but.
but couldn't actually quite manage it. Do you know what I mean? If that makes any sense. I don't know. It's early days, but looking at him, the way he tries to find space and tries to feed the ball into his teammates, I think he's looking really promising. So I think he'll be quite crucial going forward. But again, very early days. Uh, looking at some more YouTube comments here, Kieran Foy says, have we signed power or not? Surely it would have been announced by now, 40 minutes after the window. We've got two hours though to to finish off deals. And of course, if it's a loan deal, we've got until the 31st of the month. Um, while we're there talking about loan deals, I'm going to take away from Max Power, take away from midfield options and ask about Billy Sharp. He's a player that we've been linked with. Do you think that could be a loan deal we'll bring in? I'll throw this to Jack. What do you think? Is he likely to come? I don't think it's likely. I think that we like the idea of it. And on paper, it sounds brilliant. And obviously, he's got the pedigree, but he's a Sheffield lad, isn't he, through and through. And I think he's very settled. And I don't know, we, we presume that he wants to be playing regular football week in, week out, but he might be happy to get the odd first-team game for his, uh, his home team club. So, yeah, know. I'd hope yeah. so, but yeah. I can see that. I think... Um... In a lot of ways, it's wishful thinking, isn't it, from Sunderland fans and certainly from myself. I know I've been championing it as well as Gav, the managing editor at Rogue Report. We've been chomping at the bit trying to, I don't know, hope that Billy Sharp was going to sign. Um, we've got a well, few questions here. Sorry, can I cut in there, Colin, before you Yeah, of course you can. Like the, um, when it comes to Billy Sharp, like what um, yeah, what our buddy mentioned, whose name I've completely forgotten. Yeah, he's, um, he had, uh, what is it, he's connected with a charity down in Sheffield. He's 30 years old. He's captain of the club. Do you know what I mean? It always seemed a bit unlikely, and it is his boyhood club. So I, I, I'm not sure whether there was any weight to it or not. I'm not sure how much weight there is to it in general. Like, do we re- do we want him? Yeah, sure. I'm, I imagine, but would his heart even be in it? And at that age, would you really? Would it be something? It's not the sort of thing you just uproot your family for, is it? You know and I mean, to head over to League One with Sunderland. I mean, although having said that, it's a brilliant opportunity. Yeah. No, I can. I can see. I think. For our perspective, we were just looking at his, you know, his stats, and you don't really, with footballers, put that human touch to them like what you just have there, Damien. You know, you don't think of them having families and kids. You know, Billy Sharp's played in Yorkshire most of his career, hasn't he? So, mm. getting him to move all that to come to Sunderland to play, you know, maybe a season or two, then he'll be in the same position in two years' time, won't he? Yeah. Uh, we've got a few questions here about Brian Oviedo. I can't remember who wrote it, but somebody asked whether or not he will be staying at the club. And if he does, do we need to replace, if he leaves, sorry, do we need to replace him? So Danny, do you want to take a shot at that one, Brian Oviedo? I think if he goes, we have to. Um, if you look at the fullbacks we've got at the club, it's Luke James, Adam Matthews, Donald Love, which I know a lot of people are on the fence about. You've got Tom Flanagan, who could fill in there at left back. But if Oviedo goes, we have to get another one in. I don't think we've got enough depth there to get by. And I think Oviedo, to be fair to him, he's came back, he's trained, he hasn't been a bit of bother. When he did say he wanted to go, he said that he'll be happy regardless of what happens. So he isn't in the Dilaboji and Dong kind of area where they're just being a bit selfish and stupid. And So yeah, I'll be happy to say keep him. Definitely think we should keep him, seeing as we haven't got anyone really else in that position. So... I hopefully he stays. If he doesn't, we're going to have to replace him. I suppose it's a it's the finances of the deal, isn't it? Because you know Oviedo's on forty two grand a week. Keeping him, he's probably ten players' wages. You know there or thereabouts. You're talking five grand a week at this level. So you're talking eight players to have him in the dressing room in and that much when you've got you know your star players like Dylan McGeoch maybe only in in between five and ten. Like, it could 
have caused issues in the dressing room. I, I don't know. Um, Jack, what do you think about that? Well, like David Priest said on the uh, podcast this week, I think it's only an issue if the player makes it an issue. And I don't think Oviedo is the type to be all, you know, flash or rub it in someone's face. Maybe there'd be some resentment, uh, you know, if you're working your bollocks off and scoring goals and getting assists and you're only on, even after bonuses, you know, a fraction of what someone else is, then it'd be natural to be a bit, not necessarily jealous, but to feel a bit hard done by. It's human but, nature, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know. I, I don't think personally it would be necessarily an issue. It's, it's, it depends on Oviedo himself. Yeah, I think if he's working hard and you can, if he performs at the level he performed at the weekend, I don't think anybody's going to be bothered about how much he's earning in that dressing room. They just want to make sure that he keeps playing at that level, don't they? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you've got a player on the pitch giving performances that are better than League One performances, and I think that's what we saw at the weekend, then could you get angry about him being paid more than a League One wage? I don't know. Uh, we've got JY here. Uh, he asks, how will the finances suffer with still having players like Papi and Dong? I'll throw Catamol on that list as well. And Oviedo for that matter. You know, but Do you think that'll have an impact on the club, Danny? Or Damien? Whichever one of you want to take that one. Well, to be honest, I'll take it. Um, what, still owing money for Ndong, will, ha- will that have an impact on the club? I think that that will have been factored in already. I don't think it's going to be a big issue. I mean, the Ndong deal in particular was very very strange and very staggered. Um, I think we only paid a million up front and we owe X amount of money still for him. But that was set over like a course of like five years or something like that. So I don't think our direct finance, our finances will imminently be affected so much. With regards to Catamol as well, um, I'd love to see the back of him, but I don't think it's a must sell. I honestly don't think that we, I mean, what was it you said to us earlier, Connor, about how, how much has actually been spent in the, in the transfer for uh, the transfer was, uh, I don't know if it's changed obviously with deadline day yeah, but yeah, we, yeah. it was about two million pounds and we'd spent just about a million pounds worth of it so we'd yeah, spent exactly. so, half the, the money that the whole league had spent I think it's went up because Peter Brez bought somebody such a small amount of money by comparison um, when you're talking about deals that are, are staggered over five years or whatever or dealing with someone with Lee Carmel who realistically what sort of transfer fee would we get for him Anyone who's been watching him for the last <laughs> two, three years, exactly. They're not going to pay good money for him. So, no, I don't I don't think we're desperate to say get another... Let's say we need another four players and we spend an equal amount as we have now. You're only looking at another two million, something like that. I, I, and I think certainly Stuart Donald has the, the finance to do that without having to worry about must sell. You know, I think he mentioned it as well when he first came in. We're not in a, in a position where we can be, you know, bent over a table. And that was a talking point many times, wasn't it, really? Uh, hybrid Theory asks about Dilabodji. If we can't offload him, does he deserve a second chance? Can he and Oz take battle for a bench spot? So there's a presumption there that Oz is not going to be uh, the automatic starter. But what do you think with Dilabodji? Who wants to take that one? I think I'll take it. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll go in as well. Um, he won't be here. By the end of that low market or the foreign market, I don't. He, he's too far gone. I don't want him back. Don't want any of the foreign players back. Just as long as they're gone, I think they will be gone. They'll just have to be a bit more use their common sense and do a Kone, so to speak. He dropped substantial wages just to leave. So the penny will drop with them soon. They'll just they're just being difficult, but, but they'll be gone in what twenty days. So yeah. Well, I've read uh, something recently about that. Uh, Kone, it's not come out yet. We'll be releasing that on RR soon. But it's just an opinion piece, basically, about the whether Kone was good or bad. And when you look at, I think this is relevant now, when you look at players like Gilabodji, um, it's so important to take into account 
as we were saying earlier, the emotional side of the human side of it and how basically what I'm trying to get across in that article is how as much as our expectations were, well, they, they weren't met similarly, nor were his, if you know what I mean. So obviously Sunderland being in such a transitional period over this last few years and managers coming and going, players coming and going, blame more importantly, coming and going everywhere, everyone pointing the finger at everyone for every conceivable thing. It must've been impossible to be happy. You know, so when it comes to talking about whether players like Gillibodji would would actually be capable of playing for us and playing well, I think they absolutely would, but only if you could make them happy. And obviously, it's probably got to that point, as um, Jack just said. Jack, do I keep calling you Jack, mate? <laughs> <laughs> I keep forgetting your bloody name, Danny. So, um, Danny, there's a Danny and a Jack here, Damien. Come on, sorry, I'm not used to the voices. Sorry, yeah. head in the game, head in the game. No, that's it. Yeah, as, as he said, anyway, like when it comes to he's probably gone, but whether he could come in and do a good job for us, only if he was happy. And I, I don't think many players are similarly to Catamol. You know, we're saying we don't like him now, or I am, but there was a time when he played really well, and that must have been when he was, you know, when his head was in the game. It's just so important to take that into account. But as you say, it's a moot point with Gillibodji because I don't think we'll see him again. Uh, we've got a question here from Sunland for life. Has Jack Ross made a mistake making Honeyman captain? When everyone is fit, I don't think he is in the first 11. Now, I'll actually take a little bit of a one on this because I think Honeyman, for some reason, takes quite a hard press considering he scored eight yes. goals for last year. He, yep. For some reason, I think when you've got a local lad coming through and maybe the struggle in some games, people um, want to try and get on their backs. And I just think, you know, Honeyman, yeah, you can maybe hammer him for some things. He is wasteful. And I think sometimes he, he does waste opportunities. But overall, in the state that we're in at the minute, I don't see why anybody would be opposed to him being the captain. I don't know what you think, Jack. Well, I wrote half a piece on this on the uh, website, but I'd be opposed to it, but not because I dislike him as a person or a player or anything, but I just don't think he's necessarily ready for it here. Uh, no, so your, your view's more, but you don't think, you think he is first 11, but you don't think he should have been captain? Oh, he's definitely first 11. I mean, you just need to look at his output last season. And he's got to be up there with our top scorers. He might have been our top scorer, actually, once Lewis Graben left. I think McGeady was just ahead of him. Yeah. Um, but I, I just don't know how much uh, authority he'd carry with the other players. And that's presuming that the other players care about who wears the armband. I, I don't know if that's necessarily the case. But uh, I think it's nice for the club. It's, you know, good PR and it looks good. And hopefully hopefully it'll help him rather than hinder him. But I fear it could. Uh, anybody on my side there with a Honeyman? I think, I think he's there by merit. I think if, just to point, make a point about Honeyman, if Sunderland were to go out and sign a midfielder who'd scored seven goals in the Championship last season, two assists everyone would be absolutely delighted. It is what it is. He, he did do really well in the in a, in a poor team last season as well. He didn't just do it in a good team where it was easy. did it in a team who was struggling. He's got good amount of goals in him. He might, probably should offer a bit more assist-wise, but I don't understand all the hate for him myself. For him being the captain, I think Jack Ross put it right as well. He's a lead. I think he's he's vocal. He gets a place, he cares, he has that kind of belief in himself that gets the other players going. He won't let any like substandards or anything like that. So I think he's A, he deserves his spot on the place. Uh, it deserves his spot in the team and certainly deserves to be a captain because he just gets Sunderland. Can I say as well on this note, um, I, well, I can see both sides at this point, but 
I was reading recently, I was reading uh, Didier Drogba's autobiography, and he said something about when he first came onto the pitch at Chelsea's training ground, and this young, slight lad approached him and just like started chatting to him really quietly and that, and he didn't realise until afterwards that it was John Terry and he was a skipper. And it was just the way the way he conducted himself on the pitch, like when or just in general with in training and things like that. It wasn't at all like <clears throat> sorry, what we've traditionally come to expect from a captain, you know, when we look at Lee Catamol, for example, as skipper, he's big, loud, aggressive, shouty, pointy, clearly getting emotional. You know, it's all very evident, um, but not very good. And at the end of the day, didn't really captain us to any success. So was he a good captain? Although he was certainly the loudest in the dressing room, was he the most charismatic? They're two very different things. And so I, I think without being in the dressing room, and actually seeing how Honeyman interacts with the rest of the players, we have no idea whether we should judge him, like whether he should or shouldn't be. I suppose the best witness we have to it is Jack Ross. If someone like Jack Ross comes in and says, look, he's, he's a born leader and he's respected, so I'm giving him the captaincy, then we should just trust him. Who, who else could have been up for the captaincy? I think when you bring, we brought in a lot of players who are captains over the summer, but it seems weird to bring somebody in and then make them captain. So who were the other options, do you think, to to take the armband if it wasn't going to go to Honeyman? Well, we don't have many... I mean, when it comes to senior players, we do have senior players, obviously older players, like wiser heads um, or more experienced heads, as it were. But I'm not sure anyone automatically fits the bill. Like, as, a, as I was just saying, like, what is the actual defining characteristic of a captain? What qualifies the, the players in the dressing room for this? So long as everyone listens to Honeyman... So long as he actually has the respect for the dressing room, he should be the captain because he is a good player. He's not the best player that we have. Um, he makes mistakes. He's not the biggest lad, and so he can get himself into trouble. But at the same time, as I say, if who else? You know what I mean? Who? No one automatically springs to mind for me. You'd say someone like McGeady, you know what I mean? Very, very experienced, but... Is that the sort of player he is? Does he want the captaincy? Does he have that respect in the dressing room? The the YouTube chat is suggesting, as I've seen a few Leuvens and a few Baldwins, uh, obviously new players have been captains elsewhere. Would, would yeah. they have been a, a good option? I would say that they're, they're possible. I think it's all possible. We're, we're still starting. We've still got, I mean, Jack Ross hasn't really assembled his whole squad, has he? He's got what he was given and he started to bring some in. Uh, so it, it's entirely likely that in, I don't know, a month's time or a few games' time, Leuven's takes the captaincy or something like that once he's ingratiated himself with the other players in the dressing room and on the pitch and he can show and he meets those standards that are set for him by the manager to fit that role but I don't think anybody should be automatically given it based on age or whether they were a captain at their previous club because other things are more important than that you know getting understanding the ethos of the club and the region surely that's that that's that counts for a lot so yeah uh, switching now onto a different subject, uh, back onto transfers. James Wilson is potentially coming in on loan, as revealed on Rogue Report earlier today. Do we see him being more of a, a squad player or more? I mean, he's failed to get a proper run of games anywhere he's been, to be honest. He's had a few injuries as well. So, Jack, what, what do you think? Do you think James Wilson will be a, a first name on the team sheet or do you think he's just going to be a fringe player? I think chances are he'll be back up because, you know, Ross, from the looks of things, only likes to play with one, one up front. But um, I was doing a bit of digging when, when his name came up and I saw that we were apparently in for, in for him on loan in January of 2015 and 2017. So obviously there's someone at the club who, who likes the look of him. Uh, he's highly rated at Man U. Uh, he's, a, he's a tall lad. He's about six foot, quite fast. Uh, seems to be scoring about one in two in the uh, 
under-23s competitions. Now, there's no guarantee that will carry over, but he's never really had a chance. I think it's a bit like Sinclair, where, you know, you look at Sinclair's record and he's barely ever scored a goal, but we saw him on the pitch and we saw how impressive he was. So hopefully he'll uh, be able to handle that step down to League One and and show his quality. Yeah, I I think interestingly, when you you bring these sort of players in who've been at Premier League clubs and have even been at Championship clubs, when you drop them that League One level, I think sometimes fans and even me included, you don't know what to expect because we've never been at this level. So you, you look at Sinclair and I think people were a bit underwhelmed, um, I would say, with that signing. But you put him in League One and suddenly he doesn't look anywhere near as bad. I mean, I, I, I don't know, Damien, what, what do you make of that? I've just seen that Danny Roberts has put in that he's letting his dog outside, so I'll have to throw it to you. <laughs> Fair as to whether Wilson's a good signing. Uh, Wilson. Yeah, it's uh, well. I'm, I don't really. Again, I don't know much about. It. I've seen him play a couple of times, a year ago maybe, um, maybe more than that. I, I don't know a lot about him at all. But at the end of the day, there's got to be some kind of pedigree there. I think he's well thought of at Man U. Um, and as you say, coming down to this level, it's something that we obviously, if we'd got that signing in the Championship or in the Premier League, then we'd be questioning it. But now, it's, we don't know what he's capable of at this level. Let's see what he's capable of. He, he might come in and start banging in goals, you know. that's And obviously, for the development of any player, this is the sort of level, as, as your academy players start to sort of show that they, they have the potential to break through in the first team, you, you start sending them to sort of League One championship clubs, a championship club if you can and if they're good enough, or League One if they've still got a little bit to learn. So it's apparent that he's still got a lot to learn as far as the um, the backroom staff at Man U are concerned. But that doesn't they've obviously not given up on him. I mean, that isn't to say that they haven't got a lot of players and they can be wrong because obviously we've had some of their dross before. <laughs> but we've also had some players from them, like obviously they sold this McNair, which... Um, it was probably, I assumed that was injury record because when he actually played for us, he was bloody great. But then obviously he gets injured a lot. So I think, yeah, I think we should just give him a shot, really. I don't want to seem too like pacifistic about everything like and too hippie and free love, but I really think at this stage we have to we have to wait and see. I think the time to judge these players is after four, five, six games with the same sort of running, um, the same sort of team. We've, we've seen... Um... Duncan Watmore is, is on the return. We saw a few videos of him in training actually a couple of days ago. Uh, Danny, what, where do you think Watmore fits in when he comes back? Do you think he's going to be a squad player? Do you think he's going to, well, I don't think he'll be a squad player, but do you think he'll be winger, striker? Where do you think Jack Ross sees him in the team? It's a difficult one because you know, I think it depends on what we do in the next, what, 20 days. If we bring in Wilson, if Sharp happens, if it is those two coming in, then you'd probably be a, a winger. But we, the thing is, I, I really like it. We've got a lot of options up there on the wings and up front. McGee, well, if we get Sharp and Wilson, we do. But it'd have to be a, a winger. But it's a question is, do we force him back as quick as possible? Do we kind of get him to December, kind of only bend him in slowly and then see where he is next year? Has he lost his pace? Is he still the same player? There's so many different outcomes what could happen now onto December. What could happen a lot more? He could be a different player. So I don't think there's much point pinning too much on him right now just because he's been out for nearly two years if you don't include his little fiasco, um, well, about four games last season. So I hope we don't put too much pressure on him. Hope we don't expect him to be the same player straight away. But if he comes back, I'd rather him on the wing than up front. 
I think the expectation last year was that we needed to bring him back because we were struggling so badly. Simon Grayson was desperately looking for an answer. Whereas this year, hopefully we're not going to be desperate. Yeah, we're not going to be as desperate. I mean, even if we were, you know, lurking on the outskirts of the playoffs at that point, we're surely not going to be as desperate as we were last year for the spark that he provided. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So, yeah, fingers crossed. He just has that time to just get back to where he was and no real pressure. Uh, so if we if we do bring in Wilson, we do bring in Power, what else do we need to bring in over the next you know, few few weeks while we've got that loan window? You know, Which areas of the side do need a little bit of extra depth? Uh, Damien, what, what do you think? Well, I think we need depth everywhere, to be honest. I think we've still got, a, no matter what happens, we've still got quite a light squad and a rash of injuries will, will really put us in a dodgy position that we don't want to be in, especially at the start of the season. Um, particularly, we know we have injury-prone uh, injury players and any loans or free transfers or low transfers, they might come with their own injury records and some of them have. Um, I think that ideally, if we were say going to get another two in or something like that, I'd definitely go for another striker or, or an attacker, you know, so you whether it's... So you want five strikers? Yeah, I want, I want, I, I'm honestly concerned that the thing is, it depends on how we play. I'm, I'm not confident in Madger. I know that was a quality goal he scored the other day, but I'm not confident in, certainly not in the role he was deployed in. Um, whether he can be effective as uh, like in a front two, I don't know. It's something that I just I, I do worry about, and I'd like for us to be able to attack with a lot more impetus and a lot more options. So not necessarily strikers, but attackers. You know, so whether it's um, attacking midfield or another winger, something like that. I want us to be strong up there. I want us to have options so that we can constantly take the fight to the other team. Any any other areas, uh, guys? Jack, what do you think? Anywhere else we need to strengthen? I agree with Damien. It's basically the, the whole pitch. I wouldn't mind. I think we need another fullback. Uh, maybe someone like Flanagan who can play both sides, but someone who can maybe get forward a bit more. Because, I mean, we've lost love now. Oviedo's probably going to go in the next few weeks, I'd imagine. Yeah, that's a good point. A fullback wouldn't go amiss, would it? Yeah, and then we're stuck with Matthews <laughs> we're and James. Never-ending search for the left-back. Yeah. <laughs> Sunderland's <laughs> perennial search for a full-time left-back. I think for the first time in, in years we've got a left back in James who's like absolute top class for this level. Yeah, but yeah. once again, it's the old Sunderland curse. He's injured half the time, so mm. we definitely need backup there. What about centre backs? I, I think we're we are short at centre back. I, I'm surprised people haven't been calling forward to sign another one because I, I think Ozturk, Leuven's, Baldwin, and then Flanagan, who's expected to cover everywhere across the back, and then there's nothing else. So surely we need another centre back. Well, based on Ozturk's performance, like yeah, I would absolutely say that we need another centre back. I completely agree. I mean, in an ideal world, we'd have two, um, but it's—I just don't see it being realistic. You know, I don't, I'm not sure that that's what they're focusing on now. I think, but I don't know. I'm not sure. It depends entirely on how Jack Ross views the academy as well. You know, or not so much the academy, but the under twenty threes and what we've already got. Um, whether they'll be able to. You know, say if anything happens to Ozturk or whoever, whether that someone will be able to step up. Um, I don't. I'm, I'm just a bit. I'm just a bit um, skeptical about signing one. Is my point. I think that we'll we'll definitely we could definitely use with strengthening everywhere and obviously defence. For me, the most important role in the pitch is centre back. Um, so yeah, I could certainly do with someone allaying my fears by hiring somebody who's absolutely bloody brilliant that isn't necessarily past their prime or you know looking for a place to to just retire. Uh, 
So as we now have finished the, the transfer window, well, the, the buying window anyway, the ownership came on our podcast when the first took over and they, they spoke about budgets and having the biggest budget in the league and what they were going to try and do over the summer. Do you think that the promises they gave the Sunderland fans at that point about bringing in you know quality players, being smarter about recruitment, do you think they've, they've ticked the boxes or do you think there is a few question marks still over the, the ownership of the football club? I, d- I don't know who wants to take this one. Uh, I'll, I'll take this. I think it doesn't feel like we're these like financial titans smashing up the league or you know stealing everyone's best players. But if you look at it factually, only two other teams have actually spent money. It's us, it's Peterborough, and it's Barnsley, and we've spent nearly double of what Peterborough spent. If you factor in the power transfer, so in real terms, yeah, we are. We've we've had a bigger budget than any other team. We've still got those massive wages on the books. There's still January to get players in, and at that point, we might have had the uh, the big earners out. So I think there's reason to be optimistic. Uh, it, it doesn't feel like we're going to walk the league necessarily. You know, we haven't signed, I don't know, someone like Marcus Madison or Will Grigg or Jack Marriott. But I think in terms of quality, we've definitely brought in a, a raft of first-team players. Jack, uh, not Jack, Danny, what do you think? Um, yeah, we've, the transfer window hasn't been bad. You've got to look at the state we were in. We've had to buy, I think it's 11 players now, 12. It's not, it's not easy. They came in quite late. Jack got the job, what, two months ago? So you can't really moan too much that we haven't done enough because it's been hard work. Maybe we could have spent a bit more. I think the team is it's light. It is quite light. Um, I don't think we've covered all the areas we were short on. I think if everyone's asked oh, what were the big problems about something last season, pace, power, I don't think we've got anyone with really raw pace apart from Sinclair. If you look into that whole team, there's not a lot of pace in there. and There's not a lot of height in there. So I'll always go back to that, but it doesn't mean we're not going to do well and it's not mean that we haven't done well in the window. I just think maybe we could have done better, but you can understand why they haven't. Damien, what do you think? You are big critics of the old regime, so you must just be happy for a change now. Yeah, I'm just off the bits, obviously. I think we all were when that happened. Um, yeah, with regards to... Well, yeah, it was fantastic, wasn't it? It was bloody brilliant. It was amazing. It was the best thing we could hope for. Um, it was almost, you know... you. I think I said on some of the earlier podcasts that we were sort of half hoping that we would fall low enough, that our value would fall low enough, that someone would actually be able to take us. And um, obviously early days with that, very early days, but considering the introduction of Sartori and things like that, I think there's a, there's so much opportunity here for investment. And I think that the, the new owners have that. That's all they have in mind. That's all they have their sights on. Um It'll be fantastic to see. And I don't think we should worry too much about this particular transfer window. Like, I'm not surprised that we haven't spent a lot of money, even though, as we said, it's like almost half of the entire League One budget, or the entire League One transfer spend. I, I think it's the sort of thing where we needed to consolidate. We certainly needed to, we needed to shift all the deadwood. And there's no doubt still deals being done, like with regards to getting rid of players. And I don't doubt, I think we'll bring on an, another two, three players on loan or something like that, maybe. Um, but yeah, when it comes to getting rid of short and everything like that, it was fantastic. I mean, that was just bloody brilliant. It was a breath of fresh air that was. So I'm feeling really optimistic. But I think they they're not scared the new owners of investment. They're not scared of say fighting it out. And I believe we've got a team that can fight it out until the next transfer window at least. And I think if we're struggling, then it's not going to be the issue we had over the last couple of years with the previous regime where. You know, someone would, we were promised that there'd be 20 million almost every transfer window. So I was going to be a, a war chest, the Sunderland war chest, that whole thing that goes around the media when you're actually in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it never came to pass. Um, obviously, for obvious reasons, because no one wanted to spend the money on a sinking ship. Now the ship isn't sinking. It's um, we're more likely to see the sort of thing that we saw from Ellis Short in the early days of his tenure. Although obviously not on the same scale, because that was like forty million down on the table. Bosh, buy yourself a new squad. But with um, yeah, with the new owners, I think come January, if there are any issues, if we're struggling or whatever, then they won't be afraid to whip the checkbook out. And that's something we can sort of take heart from, I think. You know, we don't have to worry too much because I think what we've got now will see us through till then. And if we do get there and we're limping, then they'll they'll patch us up and in, I don't doubt we'll see a massive transfer spent for this league. What do you make of the other sides in the divisions business? So obviously, we've talked about the lack of fees being spent. I look at Shrewsbury yesterday, lost a couple of players to Ipswich, lost their manager as well. Charlton still haven't really strengthened. Burton lost at the weekend and they've lost a few players over the summer. So you look at it and I, I don't see many standout, you know, sort of candidates in that division where you go, yeah, they're definitely going to be contenders. So I, I, don't, I was interested to hear what you guys thought of what the other teams have been doing in the league. Don't know I mean, who wants pass, to take this one. Yeah, I'll, I'll take it for now. I'll pass it on. But um, I think that's indicative of the league that we're in and the way sort of the reason that we shouldn't panic too much about the lack of transfer funds that we've had so far, not lack of transfer funds, but the lack of a a large spend because a lot of these club owners and managers and directors, they know that it's it's a delicate position that you're in. Like for us, we're, we're in a lucky position. As I say, we've just been purchased. We've got investors with a lot of money behind them and if we do well in our first season, then it's onwards and upwards as far as I'm concerned. Um, but they have to consolidate, whereas a lot of other clubs in this league, they aren't necessarily here off the back. Well, most of them aren't here off the back of financial power. You know, that's so they have to be very, very, very shrewd, very shrewd and like to a point that we're frankly not used to. So, yeah, that for me, I'm, I, I'm not, I wouldn't take it as any kind of indicator of how a team is necessarily going to perform. Um, because it, it, to me, it strikes me as a team who their transfer funds are so precious to them and their wage bill is so precious to them. It's so delicate that they can make a really educated judgment of what they currently have on the books. So they can say, yeah, I'm, I'm confident of this, especially the teams that have been operating in and around this league for years now. Um, they'll have the capacity to say, yeah, this is a good idea. We can, we can, we can go another season like this. And not to mention at this stage, they're probably relying on a lot of loans. As I said, the big clubs, this is the sort of level they want to get their their budding young players into. So it doesn't surprise me that teams in this league would like keep their wallet in their pocket and wait until there were some some loans going, which would be now, you know, as as players renegotiate with their clubs and things like that. I think I think it's an op- a moment of opportunity that we're not used to, basically. And people that are more experienced than us at this level know how to navigate it a lot better than we do. Certainly as fans, they're used to this. You know, there's very few massive marquee signings at League One level. So that's my two cents on it. Danny, do you want to jump in? I think Peterborough have done well. Obviously, we've spoken about them before. We've got three good strikers in. I think Portsmouth were a worry. I don't think they got that big striker they were after. Still got Brett Pittman, but they were actively seeking a standout striker during the hunt for that Moise with us at the same time and didn't really get that guy Bradford could do something oh, um, dog's going that guy yeah, sorry <laughs> <laughs> go back to someone else uh, yeah sorry, um, <laughs> <laughs> Bradford yeah, you got, you got the dog. 
Good deal. So, with um, I miss his answers, all right. So, um, Bradford, Owen Doyle, I think he's done all right. Um, well, they've got a good player there to replace him, Wyke. Um, so, yeah, I think there's not many standout deals done in League One, as you said. So, it probably gives us a bit more optimism. We've had to, we've been able to really strengthen our side with quality League One players, where else other teams haven't. I look at yeah. I look at Barnsley and uh, they obviously won on the first day four 0 but they've managed to keep all their players, which I think sometimes is is almost underrated. Their business has been more about keeping their squad together and you know not selling Brad Potts. And I, I don't know how you feel about that, Jack, but I look at Barnsley and I think that they are probably going to be the next contender to us. I think they're probably second favourites to most people. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, if you look at Outside of our business, there's been two players in the whole league that have cost money to sign. And Barnsley have one of them, Kenny Dougal, brilliantly named. Uh, they signed him from Sparta Rotterdam. And according to a lot of people, he is a championship slash Premier League quality player, but he's a defensive midfielder. So, you know, he, he won't be scoring 30, 40 goals, but he'll be at the core of that team. And it's a team that, like you say, they've, they've kind of kept a lot of their players together and they might be able to get some rebound. And uh, it's something, it's an advantage that we don't have we've got to get a lot of players gelling together. Basically have a almost a pre-season now, now until let's say November or something. And I think that could come to bite us. Uh, we saw on Saturday, it wasn't the most uh, gelled together performance, most cohesive performance. And then when you bring back the players who have been injured, the players we're going to sign in the next few weeks, it might take a while for everything to click. And hopefully we won't be overtaken by these other teams, you know, teams like Barnsley, uh, Portsmouth, uh, Peterborough to an extent, Teams where players have stayed together. Sounds like you know, a balloon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I personally think uh, Luton, that this game is possibly going to be the hardest we have all season because they, they've got exactly what I'm talking about. They've got that momentum. They've got a strong core of players. They've made some key additions. And I think the, the jump between League Two and League One isn't a lot. So, you know, they were winning by seven goals every week. So we'll, we'll be able to gauge it by this result. Yeah, I would agree. I think this weekend's a huge game for Sunderland. Um, I'll make we do a little bit of a prediction on that one actually towards the end of the podcast. But I think Luton just, it feels like the sort of game that if you win it, you'll be like, yeah, we're definitely contenders. And if you lose it, like, yeah, we've got a lot of hard work to do. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see how they play this weekend. Uh, we're going to move on to uh, a f- one of the final questions we've got from Jack Smith. He asks what the strongest eleven is now. So now we've finished the transfer window. We've got a rough idea what the team's going to look like. I think it probably makes sense for it to go sort of through position by position. So in net, McLaughlin, I don't think any of you will have a complaint about him being the starter. No, no. 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 Yeah. And then going right back to left back. So f- right back, Matthews, see the consensus starting right back? Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, the only one we've got really. Don't trust Love that much, so Matthews it is. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not a big fan of Love, to be honest. I thought, I was hoping that Love would step up at this level. Well, not even step up, just, you know, come down to the level and it'll be his level. Because I've been impressed with him when he's played in the Checker Trade Trophy um, over the last couple of years, well, the last couple of years, and he's always looked all right against this level of opposition. So He's quite young, isn't he? I imagine this is all very, it's quite a bit overwhelming for him. You know, so there's still time. He might, yeah, I mean, he's still going to be in contention from the looks of it. Yeah. Uh, Centre-backs, I think this is probably going to be an area of contention for Sunderland fans if Oster keeps getting the games ahead of Baldwin. But for me, it's it's Baldwin and Leuven's. Makes sense. But I don't know if any either of you think that that's maybe wrong. No, I'm cool with that. Yeah. Flanagan, maybe, deserves a, a shout. I mean, yeah. 
Flanagan sort of is acting as like a the fifth defender, isn't he? He's there when one gets injured, he'll be in no yeah, matter where. And I the think team. he's he's perfect to have on the bench, isn't he? Because he can play right back, centre back, left back. Apparently, a bit of midfield. So maybe that's where he'll end up. Yeah, fill it, filling in the holes where it needs left back. If we keep Oviedo, surely he's the consensus left back. But it seems a bit harsh on Reese James. We've got two top class options there, haven't we, for this division? I mean, two that are arguably championship level. So I think either one we have, we're happy. In yeah. midfield, uh, we've got we've got plenty of central midfield options now, actually. So I'm just going to throw that out there. What Damien, who do you think are our two best midfielders or who will complement each other the most in that, that area? Lee Catamore. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, um, I think what we had the other day, I think the, the Charlton game was, for the most part, our, well, not our best 11 necessarily, considering the injuries. But I'd stick with that. So you, would, you wouldn't go with McGeoch? I, I don't know enough about McGeoch to say whether or not... He, I, I don't know if he's a good player or not. I can honestly say I've never watched him play. So um, what I saw in the second half of the Charlton game was a lot more impetus from the midfield. And I thought that was... I mean, obviously, there was a lot of attack going on as well. But I thought we looked comfortable after we settled into the game. Um, whether McGeoch's a quality enough player to do anything about to change that, I don't know. I'm honestly not the person who was. I'll tell you in a couple of games. <laughs> Any, anyone want to take the centre midfield then? Who's seen McGeoch play? <laughs> I saw McGeoch at Grimsby. He controlled the game. He's probably the first choice in Ross's mind. So I'd say he'll come in. Max Power's got the pedigree in this league. Probably pushes him ahead of Luke on iron. So it'll probably be McGeoch and Power in the centre. In the holding too, at least. And then probably Honeymoon ahead of them. That's personally the three I would pick. Any disagreements there from Jack? No, I think that's completely fair. I mean, a nine, I think everyone was looking forward to, but he was really poor in that first half. And yeah. I think it's, it's going to take some time maybe for him to get used to it and step up and get settled. Max he, Power he's is... well a, spoken of, wasn't he, a nine? Yeah, I think it's a big jump in terms of just his life, isn't it? I mean, he, he was living with his parents a couple of weeks ago and now he's moved up a, you know, a division of... Football, he's playing in front of massive crowds. Mm. He's still young. With the signing of power, it gives Anaya that kind of breathing space to kind of bed himself in properly, learn the league, and then probably see a lot better than him. And then it stops the fans really getting on top of him, thinking, oh, God, we'll sign another poor player. I don't think he is. It could go that way if he doesn't have the greatest of appearances against Luton and then Scunthorpe. So I think power will help him out significantly and just bedding him in I think well I've we've seen nine for 45 minutes it was his first game for the club I think jumping in and you know saying that he, he won't be this that or the other just seems a bit bit harsh I think he, he'll get his chance and I think maybe it would make sense for him to pull out the team for the next maybe the next game just to settle in and get you know proper used to the club as you say just moved into the area, just moved out with his parents. You know, it's quite a, it's a huge jump for him. I mean, I know when I left to go to university, I didn't settle in straight away. And it's exactly the same. He's a human being, isn't he? Aye. So what about that? That The wingers, we've talked Honeyman in the hole. Uh, we're looking at Gooch on one side, Maguire on the other side. Where does McGeady fit in when he comes back? Where does Watmore fit in? They've got a few options on the wings. I would obviously it's got to be Gooch. Gooch's a fantastic player. He should be on the pitch at all times. Um, for me, I've always rated him. Um, and Maguire as well looked. I mean, after that fucking ridiculous tackle, he looked brilliant for most of the game. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it, it's hard for me to fit McGeady in at this level, although it's a level that he's obviously 
he should walk through, whether he's got the commitment to or not, whether we can control the game enough to afford his sort of brand of, I don't want to say laziness, but sort of like selective because of his advancing years and, you know, he selects his runs, doesn't he? He doesn't power at every ball or anything like that, whereas someone like um, Maguire gets stuck in at every turn from what I could see. He was all over the place. So, and with regards to Watmore as well, I, I wouldn't put Watmore over Gooch, not on the wing. Um, no, yeah. So I, I would, honestly, I would say Gooch and Maguire is probably our best wingers at the moment. Tiny, any disagreements? Mm, I wouldn't disagree too much there. I think it, it is basically what McGeady we get. Mm. Is he motivated? Is he, is he fit? Because he's been out for a month now. So Maguire and Gooch are the first two. What more? Obviously needs to get fit. I think we're light on the wing, to be fair. I think that kind of highlights us a little bit. We've got two of our backup wingers are both injured. So do we need one more? Sinclair's injured as well. But obviously it's over now. Might have to get one on the loan on loan. But what happens if Maguire and Gooch get injured? Because so we haven't got a McGeady, we don't have a Watmore, we don't have a Sinclair. So where do we go next if on Saturday Gooch gets injured or Maguire, Maguire gets injured? Good point, yeah. uh, I think if they did sorry, uh, I just We'd probably see that three at the back that we saw at the weekend. Yeah, uh, the three at the back seems to work. Yeah, exactly. It, it looked much better. I don't think that's going to be the plan going forward at all, but at least that's reassuring that there's some flexibility there. Okay, and we'll move on to striker. So we've got, well, we're playing a 4 2 3 1 in this, the way we've spoke through this. So who who do you think is going to be leading the line? Do you think he's signed for the club yet, or do you think we'll be going with Madger, Sinclair, Wyke? I mean, what, what do we think? For me, I don't, think, I don't. I don't think Magic can lead the line. No, no. no. I think I think that's asking too much for him to do that as well. I, I think although he's obviously shows a lot of potential and he's quite strong, he 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 seems quite strong, but he goes down really easily. So putting him in a position where he has to constantly back up into defenders and receive the ball and have enough time to pass it out or make something of it, I don't think we're looking at a player in that mould. I think we're looking when we look at Magic, he's, he's more of a He'll definitely suit having a partner. You know, he needs a foil because otherwise, and he's not a target man, is he? You know, he's not. He's not big enough. He's not strong enough. He's not fast enough. He's a. He's a good player, and I don't doubt he'll score quite a few goals this season, but only if he's got support. Jack, what do you think? I think it's got to be Wyke, hasn't it? I mean, he's proven we spent a lot of money on him. He's physical. He's strong. I think Madger is an option. Uh, Sinclair's an option, either up front or on the wing. Wilson probably will be. So yeah. It, it's got to be White for me. Danny? Yeah, I agree with White. Um, he fits in the kind of style Ross wants to play. So there's no other player in beside who can play in that role, I don't think. Definitely not Madger. He's not a big man. Like we said, he's a bit like Ashley Fletcher. You think he's going to be that big man, but he doesn't really have it in his locker. So, yeah, it's White. A couple of players were, we haven't mentioned, uh, Luke Molyneux and Elliot Embleton. Uh, so we'll start with Embleton. Uh, played for the England 19s as some man looked very, very good. Do we think that he could be getting a chance this season, Damien? Do you think he'll be in and around the team? I hope so. I hope there's an opportunity because he's been sort of snapping at the ankles for a good year or so now and his performances for the England under-19s were brilliant. Like that, that goal he scored on was a screamer. I mean, that obviously you can't tell a lot from one goal, but he's obviously a well thought of player. And particularly considering how thin our squad is, I would like to see them in contention. I'd like to see them training with the first team um, and focusing on that because I don't think I don't think we necessarily have to go out and spend money 
while they're there. There's something we've spoken about on the old podcast as well, about how fortunate the Sunderland Academy players are as well when it comes to Sunderland, because the managers change so often and the, now the regime has changed and we dropped down, we've dropped down two leagues. And for the academy players, it was always an opportunity. Like every six months, every new manager was an opportunity to show that they were good enough to be in the team. So I think they've had plenty of opportunities and it'll probably have been playing on their mind, thinking that oh, we're in League One if we can't do it here. You know, because if we were still in the Premier League, a player like Embleton would be loaned out to a club at this level. So he should definitely be in contention, I think. Danny, what do you think about Molyneux and Embleton? Do you think they'll be in and around the team? You'd hope so. I think Mumba on Saturday showed that the kids can do it in the, well, the kids can do it in this league. Whether they're at the same level as Mumba, different question. But Embleton, you definitely should have that chance. The thing with Molyneux and Ethan Robson, I still think they're quite small muscular wise. I think they're quite weak. I think they need a bulk up a lot before they can really nailing that place in the team but we're good to have the squad players and get that kind of experience but I think it's Embleton and Mumba who are going to be the two youngsters who will really kick on this season personally. Jack what do you think about the youngsters? Is there any other youngsters that you're looking at thinking who might you know break into the team this year? Um, I agree with with what everyone else has said so far. I think you know there's players like Kimpioka who's been on the fringes of the team in pre-season but generally it, you know I think it depends how the first team's playing because these players are really, really small, all of them. There might be, like, Ethan Robson's a bit tall, but he's very skinny, he's got nothing on him. So you'd be worried about chucking them into a team that's already quite diminutive. I think, hopefully, we'll be walking the league, doing really well, winning games 2-3-0, and we'll be able to say, here you go, Elliot, have half an hour, enjoy yourself, no pressure. It would be nice to see, uh, I've seen a few people list players, Mumba, Robson, Embleton, Hume, Seeing them sort of players play would be really nice. Put them with Gooch, Honeyman, other players that came through the academy. You know, you could be looking at six or seven players that have came through the academy at Sunderland or Sunderland lads. And wouldn't it be nice for the... Probably when you're in the Premier League, you can't do it because you've you've signed all these players. In League One, you actually have the opportunity to play all these lads in actual competitive games. And it's not often you would get to see a team full of Mackhams, but that actually might happen this season. don't know. If anybody wants to, Damien, do you want to talk about how important that is? It would be brilliant to see. Sorry, I had my microphone on mute there. <laughs> to get it back on. Yeah, um, that's that's the dream, isn't it? At the end of the day, that's the whole point of football. That's where it originally came from. It was, you know, it was people from one town fighting against people from another, and it's it's it, it's an ideal world, really. If every club had hometown players playing for them, and they obviously we wouldn't see the level and the money that we see in the Premier League and things like that. Um, so the equality spread out across the world, it would probably make the the quality of the pitch, like the game, what's what's happening on the pitch, a lot less um, exciting. But yeah, for us, for Sunderland, we're in a unique opportunity, a unique position for these young lads to have the capacity to play for their, in front of, an, well, a maxed out stadium. I know we've closed the upper tier, but still incredible numbers. Regardless, it doesn't matter what league you're in, we're still bringing in 30, 30 plus. That's brilliant numbers. It's it's fantastic. And a lot of players go their entire careers and rarely get to play in events like that. Whereas these lads could be playing in front of their hometown week in, week out. And that's just, I mean, I'm jealous, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, on that positive note, uh, we've been with you for an hour. It's exactly half past six. So I've obviously done my job well to get through all the questions perfectly on time. Well done. Um, so I want to thank the guys for coming on. So Damien, pleasure. You'll be back on again in the future. It's a shame that you live in London. You can't actually come down it to the regular studio. I live 
in London, actually, but for many reasons, <laughs> that is one of them. <laughs> uh, Danny, thanks for coming on. Um, pleasure pleasure speaking to you. I don't think we've spoke since the uh, Rogue Report play on the pitch. No, it's been, it's been quite a while, actually. I think this is my first podcast, actually. So oh, well done. On. Lost your virginity. Aye. That's aye. <laughs> And Jack, uh, thanks for coming on as well. Um, hopefully, are you enjoying Rogue Report now? You've just joined in the last couple of months. I am, yeah, fully enjoying it. I'm just no, getting uh, right. more involved. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the biggest dick at Rogue Report? You, I. Damn. <laughs> oh, sh- okay, so Carlos Edwards did an interview uh, on the podcast Extra this week, which is a must listen if you are a Sunderland fan, if you are a Luton fan. Give it a listen. I don't know if a Luton fans listen to this, but hey, well, throw that plug in anyway. Uh, we had David Priest on the podcast on on Sun. Was it Monday? Oh, no, it was Sunday. On Sunday, we had David Priest in. Uh, that podcast is great listening, especially if you're a goalkeeper, because um, obviously Priestie loves to talk about the the old catch ball that keepers do that we don't see at something very often. Well, not last year anyway. And apart from that, we'll be back recording a podcast on Sunday. We've got Phil Smith, I believe, from the Sunday Echo. And I, that, that pretty much sums it up. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for contributing the chat. I, I'm sorry I couldn't get through all the questions, but, you know, shit happens at the end of the day. So thanks, guys, for coming on. Um, they'll see you all. Cheers. Yes. Cheers, man. <laughs> Bye. Take care. 